0: And meanwhile, Delta continues to mutate to resist vaccination. So the truth today isn't necessarily going to be the truth a month from now. We don't have to vaccinate all the kids or the pregnant mothers when we don't really have the data to show that it's safe for those people. We create risk that we're just going to generate even more superbugs. Masks are also security theater, in my opinion. It's the appearance of protection Um, and the appearance that we're all being compliant, but it doesn't really do anything.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Brandon Lewis, founder of the Tennessee Conservative, and today we have a remarkable treat. We are joined by Dr. Robert Malone. Thank you so much for coming to the program, Doc.
0: Hi, Brandon. Thanks for having me.
1: Now, typically I don't do a bio this long, but uh, everybody says to trust the science. So we need to know the scientists to which we are speaking and, and, and the medical professional. So here we go. Uh, Dr. Robert Malone is the inventor of the core mRNA vaccine technologies, including the idea of mRNA vaccines and RNA transfection. Dr. Malone has extensive research and development experience in the areas of preclinical discovery research clinical trials, vaccines, gene therapy, biodefense, and immunology. He has over 20 years of management and leadership experience in academia, pharmaceuticals, biotechnology industries, as well as government and non-governmental organizations. He has been involved in developing, designing, and providing oversight of approximately 40 phase one clinical trials and 20 phase two clinical trials, as well as five phase three clinical trials, He has served as medical director, medical monitor on approximately 40 phase one clinical trials on 20 phase two clinical trials, including those uh, that ran vaccine-focused clinical research organizations. Scientifically trained at UC Davis, UC San Diego, and at the Salt Institute Molecular Biology and Virology Laboratories, Dr. Malone is an internationally recognized scientist and known is one of the original inventors of mRNA vaccination and DNA vaccination. His discoveries in mRNA non-viral delivery systems are considered the key to the current COVID-19 vaccine strategies. Dr. Blow holds numerous fundamental domestic and foreign patents in the fields of gene therapy delivery formulations, DNA vaccines, and mRNA vaccine. He received his medical training at Northwestern University MD and Harvard University clinical research postgraduate and medical school and in pathology at uc davis dr malone has close, we're almost done here we're almost i want people to know we've got somebody here that actually knows things so hang in there dr malone has close to 100 peer-reviewed publications and published abstracts and has over 11,477 citations on his peer-reviewed publications as verified by google scholar his google scholar ranking is outstanding for impact factors He has been invited to speak at over 50 conferences, has chaired numerous conferences, and has sat on or served as chairperson on numerous NIAID and DoD study sections. You could burn a wet mule with those those credentials, Doc. (laughs) Uh,
0: I I usually try to bury a wet mule. um, uh, (laughs) uh, I do run a horse farm too, and and I I was a I was a carpenter before all that and a farmhand, and I'm not a bad farrier either. Um, so, so there we have it.
1: Excellent, well, I, you've been kind. The reason I went through all that is because people say you should trust the science and, um, and, and that you should trust the scientists. So let me ask you this question. It's a very important question, uh, Dr. Malone. Who gets to pick the scientists we trust and why are so many being shut out of the conversation on medical health and in mainstream media, social media, and government and corporations that have credentials like you that are saying different things uh, than the typical narrative you're hearing?
0: So who gets to pick who we trust? Uh, I you know, I could be facetious and I could say, well, the uh, legacy media gets to pick. You know, CNN gets to pick. Um, I... My opinion, uh, I, I'm going to quote uh, Einstein. Um, question everything. Um, you know, uh, I think uh, what I am trying really hard to do is to give folks like your listeners and watchers here um, access to the information and coach them a little bit to the point where they can make their own decisions informed decisions about what to do and about what things mean. I, I don't recognize I don't recommend that you you know necessarily trust anybody. Uh, I think you ought to think for yourself and it's it we like uh, a scientist. It's a little bit like a priesthood at times sometimes more than others and that's not one of the good things that's that's uh, and we have our own special language for everything and uh sometimes we do like to think that we're better than others. I I think that's one of the things about being a farmer keeps me a little close to reality. Uh, um, you know, uh, like I say, when I have to when I have to put a horse in the ground, uh, you know, that's that's no different for me from anybody else. And uh, um, so I, I I think that the right thing is to question everything and for sure think for yourself. And um, the thing about science is that our, it works best when you have a lot of different opinions and people kind of arm wrestle intellectually with each other. And that's when it works the best because no one person can really figure everything out. They, they, everybody brings their own bias. I have my own bias and uh, and so it, it, to do, for science to work well, we're always in tension with each other and, and discussing and challenging each other. And that's, that's how it works. And this whole idea that there's only one truth and, uh, there's gotta be only one party line and no one c- should question it. That, that leads to bad decisions. And I think that if there's one thing we can all agree on, there's been some bad decisions made over the last year and a half uh, from time to time. And maybe there's still some bad decisions happening. So I, in some, uh, I, I don't really trust anybody in science. Um, I listen to them. I try to think hard. I try to pay attention to them and pay attention to what the actual data are. And when I read a paper, I don't assume that the conclusions that the person put down on the paper are the correct ones. I try to look at the information and make sense out of it. So have I answered your question?
1: You have. You said two very important things, and that's one is I try to give, give people a way to make their own decisions. You don't hear that much on the news. Uh, and the other thing is I, I come at this with my own bias, which I appreciate. That's why we are the Tennessee conservative. So no one could ever wonder: Are we coming from a biased perspective? And the answer is yes. We're coming from a conservative perspective. The difference between our organization and a lot of scientists is that we don't lie about our perspective or our bias. And I love it when somebody just says, "Here's where I'm coming from." Well, don't be surprised. Let me
0: let me amplify that since you've you've disclosed your own conflict of interest here. Um, <laughs> I I think I think that we're now in a world in which there's two. We're increased. I mean, you can look at the world as by as having different polls in all kinds of different ways. People talk about good versus evil, for example, is one of them. I think that what we've headed into now is a time when uh, the rights of the individual are in tension with the rights of the collective. I think that's one of the new polls, and I think it cuts across traditional liberal conservative boundaries. Because I'm seeing a lot of folks that used to consider themselves progressives or liberals, people like Bobby Kennedy, um, that are really upset about what's going on. I, I had a phone call from somebody the other day who said, basically, uh, I've been donating to the Democrats for years and I'm not going to do that this year, a very high net worth individual. Um, and I'm going to donate to this particular cause that relates to COVID and, and drug therapies uh, to make sure that there's early treatments available to people. I, I think that that uh, we're we may be heading into a situation where the traditional political axes get a little bit scrambled. And the good news is that it's given us a chance for some people that, let's say just to be blunt, people who, who favor liberty and personal rights, to talk to each other about what they all agree on is important outside of these kind of traditional, I'm a conservative or I'm a liberal kind of uh, lines of, of conflict that we've had. Because I think for a lot of us, what matters more than liberal conservative is freedom versus the collective, that's my opinion. I
1: agree. Um, and I'm, I'm right there with you on that. And if a little bit of safety, and this is just me, if a little bit of safety has to go out the window or, or promises of safety, which often can't be delivered, I'm willing to take the risk. A lot of people aren't, uh, or have been scared to think that the risk is greater than it is. Um, if you can break it down and dumb it down. So I, I, I was educated in Alabama public schools and I, I grew up in a place called Arab, pronounced Arab. Uh, or Arab pronounced Arab, so if you, have, you have to bear with me here, uh, for our listening audience, what is the difference between traditional vaccines and what is currently being used for the prevention and spread of COVID-19? And, and that's complicated. You've, you've spent a lot of your life studying that. So it's, I'm sorry to give you such no, a- so
0: It's totally okay. Stop the, stop the, so um, uh, no reason to apologize and no reason to talk yourself down. Um, That's my job is to make stuff clear enough. So I'm going to quote another great scientist, Richard Feynman. Richard Feynman made the the comment, if you can't make it easy to understand, you don't really understand it yourself. So uh, that's my job. Um, Do I really understand these things well enough to make them easy to understand? we have three vaccines that are authorized. I'm going to say authorized rather than licensed. Um, technically, we have four now because we split two of them, one of them into two uh, with the latest actions by the FDA. But let's kind of put that aside. <coughs> I think we can all agree we've got Pfizer, Moderna and J&J. Here in the states elsewhere, there's other ones. Um, and maybe someday we'll have Novavax, but it's not there yet and it's kind of stuck in the mud right now. Uh, people write to me, when are we going to have Novavax? What do you think? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't know. They got a mess. Uh, they ran into some quality control problems and I don't know when they're when they're going to, um, you know, be able to get a tractor and pull that one out. Um, so uh, so there it is. We've got three. All three of those rely on what is explicitly gene therapy technology applied to the indication of prophylactic vaccines. There's fancy words. Prophylactic versus therapeutic. Prophylactic means preventative, okay? So people say, is this really a vaccine, blah, blah, blah. Vaccine is such a broad word now that it can mean a lot of different things. I say that a vaccine is anything that is designed for you to take into your body by mouth or by aerosol or by skin or by injection that's designed to cause you to have a very specific immune response against the thing, okay? okay. So we have cancer vaccines that are therapeutic, and we have, uh, you know, classic pediatric vaccines for measles, mumps, and rubella. that you prevent you from getting those things. So um, lots of different kinds of vaccines in different kinds of indications. So let's break it down a little further. It said that these are all based on gene therapy technology. A traditional vaccine, quote unquote, whatever that means um, anymore, uh, is let's think about flu influenza vaccine, for example, that's a great example. we think about flu vaccine we think about influenza because we have to take it every year in theory if you're a good boy um uh so uh and you do what the cdc tells you to do um so what the the old school influenza there's some new versions of cell based influenza vaccines etc but let's talk about the old school influenza vaccines that are still around you take eggs That are fertilized. So, everybody understands what a fertilized egg looks like, right? And if you let it sit around too long, pretty soon you end up with something that's starting to look like a chick inside that if you crack it open and probably don't want to make your scrambled eggs out of that. Okay, so an embryo grows in a fertilized egg, and it turns out that influenza virus, because influenza is largely a bird virus, mostly, pigs also, but Mostly birds. Um, influenza virus will grow quite nicely in a chick embryo. Okay. And so, what you do is you take, you know, those big racks of eggs like they sell at Walmart, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the great big ones. Okay. They got racks like that. They're all fertilized eggs that have been produced by clean chickens. And, you know, the, these are the chickens that get the good life. And they're all carefully screened to make sure they're healthy and they don't have viruses and stuff like that and they lay these fertilized eggs and they put them in big racks like that. And those racks go into a machine and the machine has little pins that come down and they poke a hole in the top of the eggs and they squirt a little bit of influenza virus in. And they take those racks of eggs and they put them in incubator, just like you're gonna raise chicks. And then after a certain amount of time before they get to be chicks uh, and start hatching out, they take those racks and they put them back into another machine And that machine basically goes back in and scrambles up everything that's inside of that. So the growing chick all gets um, ripped to little shreds. And they suck it out. And that goes in a stream of biologic material out to a processor that then um, rotates it really fast and separates the influenza virus away from all the other bits of chick material and egg yolk and everything else. And then you take that that still a little bit dirty, you know, it's got a lot of other little egg bits and pieces in there of influenza virus. You take that and you blow it open, typically, or you kill it, you inactivate it. You either take it apart into its subunits or you inactivate it, purify it from all the other stuff, and you mix it with something that is going to make your immune system turn on stronger, we call that an adjuvant. Certain kinds of adjuvants include aluminum, for example, it's called alum. Uh, And you very carefully characterize exactly how much of the adjuvant you have and exactly how much of the flu proteins you have. And uh, you make sure that there's no live virus left, it can't cause infectious disease in anybody and you know exactly the amount of material that's in that in terms of the antigen the part that your immune system is going to recognize and that goes into the a vial or it goes into a syringe that's pre-filled and that's what you get for your jab so that jab then goes into your shoulder or your butt or wherever it goes and um it goes in between the fibers of your muscle and it gradually gets spread around. It gets picked up by certain types of cells, macrophage and other antigen presenting cells, dendritic cells. They go off to lymph nodes and they are go this elaborate dance that the immune system is that causes B cells to learn how to make antibodies and T cells how to make killer T cells. Okay?
1: And uh-huh. So I'm that's how a and, regular vaccine works. I'm just going to go ahead and stop you and say, you must really know what you're talking about because that is so simple that anyone should be able to listen to it and understand it. And I appreciate you for, for doing that. you You should do a you should do a, like a PragerU video on like what's a vaccine, how does it work? I think. That's <laughs> okay. Anyway. So that's so they that's do the good traditional a vaccine. So and then so Thank you. You, Thank the technology you for... that you invented and, and now helped... let's
0: talk about yeah so uh, the the genetic vaccines because um, they're all they're all genetic vaccines they're all gene vaccines okay the adenovirus is a cold virus so the J and J is a modified cold virus okay and it's modified so it won't keep replicating it won't infect somebody else it's not live it's attenuated it's inactivated in a certain way but it's still able to infect the cell and parts of that adenovirus have been taken out genetically parts of its genome have been pulled out so it can't keep replicating and instead a part of the SARS-CoV-2 is put put in, in place And that part of the SARS-CoV-2 virus that was put into that cold virus is called the spike protein, which is the part that the SARS-CoV-2 virus uses to infect other cells, okay? So the adenovirus is genetically recombined to be part SARS-CoV-2 and part adenovirus. And it's packaged up and it's injected into you and it infects cells in your body and those cells become like little factories making vaccine instead of the eggs making the vaccine the chick embryos it's your cells okay um and so your cells are the factory that make the protein the spike protein and they uh Stimulate your immune system and the spike protein also gets clipped off of the surface of those cells and it goes floating around your body and your blood etc But that's the way that kind of genetic engineering works and the adenovirus is a DNA virus So it actually goes into the nucleus thinking about eggs again if you think about a cell as similar to a fried egg The yellow part of the fried egg is the nucleus. That's where all the DNA is. And the white part of the fried egg is the cytoplasm. That's where the protein manufacturing machinery is called ribosomes. And the crispy part uh, right around the edge is uh, the cell membrane, okay? And there's also a cell membrane right at the junction between the yellow part and the white part, just like there is in a fried egg, okay? So think about that as a way to think about a cell. The adenovirus vector is a DNA vaccine in the sense that it goes into your nucleus into the yellow part and it hangs out there it doesn't insert into your chromosomes but it just hangs out there it makes RNA that RNA goes out into the egg white the cytoplasm as a message a copy of a little part of the DNA that transmits information out So these little protein manufacturing robots that exist in the white part of the egg that actually make the proteins, they're called ribosomes. You can think of them as little robots, like, you know, make cars or cut wood or whatever, okay? Only they make proteins instead and they're little teeny tiny things and there's a whole lot of them, okay? So the RNA molecule goes from the nucleus out to the cytoplasm and it instructs, it has the the code, it's like a ticker tape. It has a code in it, or or a, like a player piano roll. Um, it has a code that tells the ribosome what protein to make. Okay, it just happens to be a code that has four bases A U G C, and the DNA is A T G C. But other than that, you know, it's it's just code, just like is in your computer. Um, okay, so. It goes out into the cytoplasm, and it instructs little biorobots to make the proteins that is the spike. Okay. Now, with RNA vaccines, the RNA gets made synthetically, okay, in the laboratory, okay. And there's all kinds of special stuff around how to make the RNA. But it gets made in a laboratory and purified. And then it gets wrapped up in. Uh, you can think of it as like butter. Um, or or uh, olive oil. Olive oil is a fat. Okay. So there's special synthetic fats that have a positive charge. You know, like a battery. There's positive pole and negative pole. Well. RNA has got a whole bunch of negative charges on it. It's like a great big string of negative charges. And these fats are engineered so that they have positive charges on them. And just like a magnet, the positive part and the negative part go point okay, and they and the fats wrap around the RNA. And they protect it and you would make those fats in a special way. We could talk about the whole process. But bottom line is it's a mixture of special fats, including ones that bind to the RNA and self-assemble the whole particle. And uh, the magic is in selecting those fats and their chemical structure so that they they stay on the RNA when they're in the bottle. And they don't turn into a great big wad of aggregated crap, I'm sorry, uh, stuff um, uh, in the bottle and you can draw it up in the syringe and inject it, and it's positively charged enough. Cell membranes, remember I talked about the crispy part on the egg, outside of the, edge of the egg, okay? Those are generally kind of negative. So you end up with a particle that's mostly positive on the outside and a cell membrane that's mostly negative on the outside, and they do the same trick, boink, they stick together just like magnets, okay? and. It's all the magic is in how you do this and the lipids that you select and make it so that once they stick on the membrane, they then fuse and go into the cell and release the RNA. That's the, that's the secret sauce. Uh, but then once the RNA is in, it's, it's, once it crosses that crispy out part of the fried egg, that cell membrane, and it gets into the white part, Well, that's where the robots are. Okay, so it's easy then. It doesn't have to go all the way back to the nucleus and then come back out. It's just got to go find an empty robot. Okay, and then that robot will start making protein, and the protein it'll make is spike. Now, the thing that's big difference between these two systems, one of them, is that RNA has got a fuse on the back end, just like a firecracker. And that fuse is called the polyadenylation. So it's got a string of bases, and it's, there's an enzyme that's kind of like Pac-Man that nibbles on the end of the fuse, okay? Chews up that fuse, and once it gets to the part where all the A's are gone, then other enzymes just destroy the whole rest of the RNA, okay? So what that means is that that RNA, once it's in the cytoplasm, it only stays around for so long. How long? Nobody knows because they didn't measure it. Uh, so then we start getting into the problems. Uh, but it's, it's not too long. It's hours. It's not days. It's not weeks, okay? So the the, the the brainstorm with the RNA as a drug idea that I had back in 88 or 87, actually, um, winter of 87, I had to tie it down for a Nature article that's coming out. I had to document everything, you know, show, show how come you can say it's this date. Um, So, uh, um, the aha moment was, well, the problem with regular gene therapy is that once you get those genes into somebody's cells, you're not going to go back and cut out those cells if something bad is happening. Um, With the RNA idea, if, if something bad happens, you have a bad reaction or something like that, the RNA gets degraded, it goes away, and, you know, the patient hopefully recovers, and you just don't give them more RNA just like you don't give them more drug if the drug is toxic. So that was the core idea there. And then uh, using that for vaccine purposes to make your cells make protein that makes your immune system react in a way that looks, that acts just like as if you were infected with the virus, but you don't actually have the virus around. That was the whole idea behind uh, genetic vaccines from DNA and RNA and particularly the RNA vaccine. So that's that's now you get it hopefully if i if i've done my job uh, the core ideas behind all this make sense.
1: I love high school biology, i always aced it. It was something i loved even when i went through college, it sticks in my head still uh, for some reason although i've never really used it for, for much um, but i've always loved it and found it fascinating. I also worked at a large animal vet 7th grade through 12th grade. So i've seen a lot of what you've seen except probably by incidents about as many because every time there's something wrong, we had to roll out. So, uh, it's a, it's a dangerous job working on a horse. It really is. (laughs) is I have broken,
0: I've, I've broke ribs on both sides of my chest. Um, and I've had plenty of conks on my head and I, I completely agree with you. My wife shattered her ankle about two years ago. Um, it's, it's, uh, yeah, horses, horses are not uh, for everybody, for sure.
1: Yeah, well, and they're bigger than us. And they will do, when they get in a mind to do something, they're just going to do it. You just hope you're not there at the time. Um, so Yeah,
0: and, and we were talking about mules, they're worse.
1: Yes. So, guys, if you like conservative news, you've got very little selection in the state of Tennessee. Only 7% of people in the media identified as Republican in 2016, the last time they did the study, which means there's probably fewer now. So every time you get news through a Tennessee broadsheet, it goes through the lens of liberalism, and what you're left with is a bunch of claptrap. So if you don't like that stuff, because I don't, uh, go to TennesseeConservativeNews.com support, and if you give any amount, any amount, we will send you two proud Tennessee Conservative bumper stickers. And if you get $50 or more, we will give you this leftist Another this leftist tear tumble that's what what brian or what ben shapiro says we'll send you this proud tennessee tumbler and uh if you put boone's farm into this it comes out uh, a very nice aged cabernet it has magical properties uh you can also keep it in your car if you have to prop it up underneath the tire to change a tire it's made of titanium uh, and reinforced steel so you're going to love this puppy uh fifty dollars or more we'll also send you this directory which all of the state and local officials love and if there's something coming down the, the pike and you don't agree with it or if you want to give them encouragement uh, we'll send that in the U.S. Postal Service. That's TennesseeConservativeNews.com slash support, or hit the red button at the top of the homepage, back to the questions. The other, I only have really two more, couple more questions. Um, what is the most recent data telling us about the differences in breakthrough infections and the need for critical care in, in both, you know, the vaccinated, the unvaccinated, and then folks like me who just you know, caught COVID and recovered from it naturally. What are we, I mean, I know that the data is probably a little bit limited. I saw a study here recently, uh, I think that was done in Israel, but it, that looked, somebody summarized it for me and I looked at it and it, I, I can understand it to the degree that I think I comprehended it. So what, what are we seeing in those three groups of, you know, the unvaccinated folks that get COVID-19 and then you've got the folks that are vaccinated, then you have the people that have recovered naturally. Um, between breakthroughs and critical care? I mean, just generally speaking, what what are you
0: seeing and what are your thoughts on it? So it's a little complicated and it's made worse here in the States because the CDC in their wisdom decided that they weren't gonna uh, rigorously track breakthrough cases. They were only really gonna look at the really severe ones. So we really don't have decent data touching on these questions that you're just asking about from here in the States. And we've got a lot of uh, talk from the media about all kinds of things, like uh, all of this scare about how the pediatric ICUs were filling up, You remember all that talk? Well, it turns out that what that was really about is an outbreak of respiratory syncytial virus in the pediatric population. by the way respiratory syncytial virus also causes disease in elderly and the the press kind of didn't get it through their noodle that there's not just one kind of pulmonary uh respiratory virus there's a bunch of them and the one that causes the real disease in kids is not SARS-CoV-2 it's RSV um so that's what's been filling up the pediatric ICUs and the pediatric wards is RSV now here there was a lot of talk also from the press oh it's the vaccinated are only one percent or less of the people that are getting into the hospital okay that may have been true at some point in time in some state I'm sure it was but that's not consistent with the data out of Israel and in uh Great Britain UK Scotland etc um like I said the problem is that we the FDA uh decided not to uh in the cdc not to force the vaccine companies to set up really good databases on all this stuff and the adverse events et cetera. (laughs) and so we're left having to rely on other countries to get the good data Mm -hmm. and both israel and the uk have done a good job so in the uk they've got some of the best sequencing and characterization of the different virus strains of anywhere in the world. And that means that you can look at the data from the United Kingdom. Excuse me, I got a cough again. And get a pretty good sense of what's going on and what strain of virus is causing it and um, how many people were vaccinated before they ended up in the hospital and how many were unvaccinated and uh, how severe the disease is for the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Same with Israel. It's a little more complicated in Israel because they have some restrictions on what data they can share consequent to their agreement with Pfizer. Uh, So that's a whole other story. But what we learned from both sites, both countries, is that um, the ratio and you have to the data are a little um, difficult, you have to be careful in interpreting them because you got more people vaccinated than unvaccinated. So you can't really compare raw numbers. But certainly uh, a large fraction, probably at least 50% of all the people in both countries that are hitting the hospital are the vaccinated. Some are saying that the percent in Israel a vaccinated is even higher. But there's a lot more vaccinated people in Israel. Actually, both countries are, are hovering at about 70 percent vaccine uptake. Israel is a little touchy because they've got the fundamentalists uh, that uh, don't accept vaccine. And so there's little pockets of those and they tend to be very skewed towards older. So they're getting hit hard by the delta and so you've got to look at the israeli data kind of sideways a little bit because it's not super clean but uh it clearly in both cases you're getting both vaccinated and unvaccinated now if a vaccinated person gets infected they will replicate virus at the same or perhaps even higher levels than the unvaccinated
1: can you explain will replicate it? Does that mean within their body, not transmit it, just produce it in their body, correct?
0: Within their body. So the amount of virus, if you're vaccinated and your neighbor next door to you is unvaccinated and you both have a, an infection with Delta, you have a breakthrough infection, your neighbor is their first infection. The levels of virus in your body and in your neighbor's body are going to be about the same and it might even be a little higher in your body. Okay. Both you and your neighbor will infect, be able to infect other people. In fact, you will infect other people at a fairly, a, really a shockingly high rate, kind of like the infectivity of chickenpox. Okay, so more infectious than the alpha and beta strains were considerably more. Now, still, um, the the Currently the data suggests that you, the vaccinated person, that gets Delta, you may replicate the virus as much or or even more. You may have as much or more virus in your body, but your risk of getting hospitalized is lower. So there's still some benefit in terms of keeping you out of the hospital. Now there's some odd things in the UK data that suggests that Even though your risk of getting hospitalized is lower, your risk of dying may be higher. That's kind of weird. It's hard to understand how that would be, but it seems to persist. The thing is, the numbers are small. We're still talking about hundreds, not thousands or tens of thousands of people that are ending up dead or in the hospital. Um, Well, ending up dead. We're now in thousands that are ending up in the hospital, even in the vaccinated groups. So there's a lot of moving parts still going on. And meanwhile, Delta continues to mutate and be selected to resist vaccination. So the truth today isn't necessarily going to be the truth a month from now.
1: Well, that is one follow-up question, though. If you say that you just had COVID, you recovered from it naturally. What are they seeing in those numbers? I've got a personal interest in this because that's where I am.
0: (laughs) You got a dog in this fight. Yes. Um, So so the new data is quite clear that um, you may be, as somebody who has had COVID and recovered, the new data from Israel as you pointed out, suggests that the naturally infected and recovered person may have a broader and longer lasting immune response and their their uh, protection from disease may be between six and twenty-fold better than the person that just got vaccinated now there's also data that if you got vaccinated and you get one jab like moderna that your vac- your immune response is even better however that same data set suggests that if you get two jabs after you've been naturally infected, it may be worse. (laughs) Um, So what does all that mean? Well, one of the things that that teaches you is maybe three jabs isn't such a good idea. Remember, if we go back to the CDC director saying, we don't really have data about three jabs, we just have hope, that's a bad idea. Um, Because with vaccines, more is not always better. Sometimes more can cause the immune response to go down. We call that high zone tolerance, okay? So this whole idea, simplistic idea is more is better with vaccines. That's, it's not good enough to have hope. We need to have data before we start telling people that if they're gonna go to work you know, and keep their job, they gotta get vaccinated and they're gonna have to get a third vaccine or a fourth vaccine or heavens knows how many vaccines. Um, So stay tuned on that one. So in general, natural immunity seems to be broader, more robust, more long lasting, provide better protection. It may be that it can be further enhanced with one jab, maybe two jabs might be too much on top of that. Um, uh, One of the big problems that's happened is that, uh, and this is what kind of got this whole train rolling, it came out of israel you may recall about a month ago pfizer said hey world uh we think we're going to need to have a booster and then uh, the good dr fauci came out and said no 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 you can't say that um you don't know that i didn't give you permission to say that and pfizer backed down and then about a week later dr fauci came out and said well i think we're going to need to have a third jab um and then uh then it was uh, well, we're all going to get a third jab and we and the Biden administration announced that they've bought enough vaccines so everybody can get a third jab at eight weeks. Um, and then just last week, at the end of the week, we heard. Uh, well, Tony and and uh, and Mr. Biden had a meeting and uh, they were discussing whether or not the third jab needed to be at five weeks, not eight weeks. Um, what we know from the director of the cdc they don't really know what they're doing and what the data are and what they're going to do about it and i think they're right now in a bit of a uh, conundrum about what they're going to do about this because the truth is that the pfizer vaccine doesn't last for very long and there might be some fact checker that's going to say no 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 robert um uh five to six months is a perfectly durable vaccine i beg to differ I don't know of any vaccine that's licensed, that's only good for five to six months. Uh, I would call that poor durability. Uh, It's not even protecting you for a full year. Um, So I've kind of walked through that busy matrix of everything changing all of a sudden. And a lot of the things that we thought we knew, we don't. Um, And uh, what are we gonna, how are we gonna go forward from here? Not clear. And uh, what we do know is that Delta continues to mutate. It continues to be selected uh, by vaccine pressure to become more vaccine resistant. One of the things that is unclear right now, and there's a recent paper out that addresses this, is whether Delta is causes a more or less severe infection in somebody that wasn't previously infected. And, there's a recent data suggests that it's actually more severe. So it's not only more infectious, replicates to higher level, but it causes more severe disease in the unvaccinated than alpha and beta did. So probably if you uh, could go back in time and uh, choose which one you would get infected by, you might want to choose alpha or beta instead of delta. But now here we are. Um, there's uh, some leading virologists that I I think, have got it right in Europe that suggests that if we continue trying to universally vaccinate everybody while we have so many people infected, that what we're going to do is drive the development of an escape mutant virus that's going to completely bypass spike-based vaccines. And if we do that, then we got a real problem because the line of defense that we've set up for elderly and high-risk people is going to fall. So this is why Peter Navarro and I came out with our our little plan in the Washington Times uh, for a different strategy that's based on, we think, you know, good practical sense that kind of takes the Swedish approach a little bit, but adds in early drug treatment. In which we suggest that we keep the vaccine and the vaccinations limited to the people that need it most the elderly, morbidly obese, and people with high risk factors. And everybody else, we support them when they get infected with early drug intervention as soon as possible. So that means they have to be able to get good diagnostics soon after they've been infected. And there's a lot of information and data out that suggests that even with these imperfect drugs that we have, uh, we can keep people out of the hospital and keep them from dying, if we get to them early, waiting to treat them until they're in the hospital, which has been the federal policy, you 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 and your readers may know this, you know, you come to the hospital, and you say, I can't hardly breathe. I feel like heck, um, I'm sweating, uh, can't sleep, whatever um I've lost my taste and smell they check your blood oxygen levels and they say oh no 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 no! go home come back when your lips are blue (laughs) right when you're really in need of oxygen that's the that's what the message is right um come back when you're really sick not now that just makes no sense at all the goal should be to keep them out of the hospital and so we ought to be sending them home with drugs that are not perfect but are reasonably effective and have been shown to keep them out of the hospital um, and uh, drive them towards what even Dr. Fauci calls making COVID more like a cold. And many docs all over the world believe that we already have those medicines. And they include things that have been slandered in the press like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, fluvoxamine, or ergopepsa, go Celebrex, many others. So there are many different agents, including vitamin D, that if you take them early, it'll keep you out of the hospital. It, it's COVID is not a walk in the park. I've had it. It's a wicked thing. Um, but I had it at a time when no one had any drug therapies of any kind. Uh, that was the end of February of 2020. And I started self-testing things on myself um, that we had discovered using fancy computer technology. And I found one of those things that really made a difference for me, and that's this stomach acid reducer called Pepsid or femodidine. And that was, that was disparaged in the press, just like with everything else. But the data have come in from a number of studies that show that that actually provides some benefit you got to take it at high doses. And, we, and then we added this other anti-inflammatory, Celecoxib or, or Celebrex. And that really kept people out of the hospital or even was super useful in the hospital. And we've now been granted authorization by the FDA to go ahead and start treating patients with that in, in double-blind randomized clinical treatment protocols that we're going to be enrolling soon, both for outpatients and inpatients. So there's there's hope on the horizon, um, and I think a strategy that makes sense. And we don't have to vaccinate all the kids or the pregnant mothers or all this other talk um, when we don't really have the data to show that it's safe for those people. And we create risk that we're just going to generate even more superbugs. So this is kind of like the idea that if you give antibiotics to your cattle all the time, you're gonna eventually end up with, with bacteria that are resistant to antibiotics. It's the same kind of idea. I
1: can tell that you have a personal passion that will probably not be remunerated except in heaven. Uh, to help (laughs) warn people uh, about this. And I have that same passion. I have another job. I have another company I run. I do this because I I feel that it's necessary. And I appreciate you doing what you're doing out there because it's a handful of folks that are really starting to wake people up. And so often the news is six months behind people like you. Uh, I'd be remiss if I did not quickly ask one question then I'm going to let you have the last word. You've been so kind with your time, and normally I try to cut these things short, but this has been so damned interesting and informative. I'm just like, yeah, (laughs) we're cleaning in here. So, number one, masks in four or five sentences. How helpful? How unhelpful? I I just want to. You've been been so transparent with just. Well, it could be this, and it could be that, and this is helpful, and this is, not I just want to
0: hear what what's your. So so I get it, and this is a hot button issue. So, um, some people say masks are protecting you from me if I'm infected. OK. And that's partially true. Some people say masks are to protect me if I'm infected and I'm wearing a mask from from shedding it uh, and you getting it. OK. A lot of the data about mask usefulness, the data that shows that it's useful to use masks, in order to show that it really makes a difference, you've got to have a fancy mask and you got to really know how to use it. You know, you got to have an N95 or better, and it's got to be pretty tightly sealed. So uh, I, I suspect that there are a few folks in Tennessee that vape uh, from time to time. And uh, you may find that if you get one of those folks, take a big puff and put a mask on and then blow it out, you'll see what happens to all those virus particles, because you're going to see that vapor come out outside of that mask and just go all over the place, okay? Um, With a standard, like those little blue masks that we all wear uh, to show that uh, we're uh, obeying the overseers. Um, So uh, the truth is that they can be useful in, in situations where everybody's really careful to use them perfectly. But the cloth masks and the kind of half baked uh, little things that you drape over your face that people have various words for those Uh, um, diapers one Uh, um, uh, so those really don't do much. I wish they did. Uh, I know that they're for me, they drive me nuts. I can't hardly breathe Uh, and um, I don't know that they really do very much. There's a word that's used sometimes. I first heard it used about what happens with the TSA every time we go to the airport. Um, you know, how many shoe bombers have there been? One, right? Uh, good, good thing that they don't make us take off our underwear because there was once an underwear bomber too. Um, uh, so the word that's used is security theater. It's the appearance of protection um, and the appearance that we're all being compliant, but it doesn't really do anything. I actually once did a gig as a consultant with the TSA. They all know it doesn't do much. Um, they did uh, a
1: study where they hired private contractors to try to run dangerous objects through the TSA checkpoints, and I think they caught like 20 to 30 percent of lethal items, especially guns, knives. Yeah. I mean, it's like, to me at that point, I'm like, okay, if you're only batting 25 or 30%, we just need to shut this whole thing down and forget about it.
0: Um, so masks are also security theater, in my opinion.
1: There we go. Well, I mean, um, you've been so kind with your time. We're coming up on an hour. I do not want to. I don't want you to think that I'm the little redneck guy from Tennessee that's going to like keep you forever. That's what my mother does when you try to leave. <laughs> She'll follow you out to the car. I've got a couple of friends. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but I will bet her cooking is better than mine.
1: Well, um, it, it could so. very well, it could very well be. It could very well be. Um, so, how do people uh, find out about you? Follow you? Help any organizations that you're involved with? We'll put links into all the emails that go out or text messages to our list, and also post it on all our channels. Uh, how can people? You've been so kind to us, and, and so many by informing them. Uh, we'd like to send as many people your way as possible. How would we do that?
0: Well, number one, there's a whole bunch of podcasts and hopefully yours will be another one soon. And you can find those podcasts through Spotify and Apple Podcasts and a lot of the, there are various companies now that are aggregating podcasts, so they're easy to find. So that's one, if you wanna listen to me go blah, 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 blah for three hours. Um, Another one is the uh, LinkedIn uh, profile which uh is uh rw malone md on linkedin and then on twitter it's at rw malone md and then uh we have a website that has a blog that my wife largely writes uh which is uh the usual http colon double backslash um uh rw malone md.com uh and uh, I think that'll do it. And my wife is telling me I got to jump in the car to drive up to D.C. to do another one. If you're ever
1: in Tennessee and you need to get the word out about where you are so we can help build a crowd to hear people if, to hear you speak or do whatever. If you ever end up here again, uh, let me know. And I'd be the guys. remember that guy we talked to from Tennessee? He's got a big list. Yep. Let's go. Okay. Uh, take care, be dog. Good. Thank you. Ciao.